Hey, my lovely ladies, before the show starts, I'm looking for some more six and seven figure female founders and CEOs to interview. So please go to www.twwguest.com to apply. In today's episode, we're interviewing Abigail Tiefenthaler. She's a marketing and sales strategist helping companies launch and leverage their brand to become more visible, more profitable by impacting the relationships they hold with their customers, stakeholders, employees, and communities. Today, she's taking us behind the scenes to her number one secret to getting your next client within 30 days without investing a penny. This should be an amazing episode. Welcome, Abigail. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, we're so excited to have you here. Well, we love to just dive right in. So let's Let's get the scoop. What is this number one? Yeah, what is this number one secret to getting a next their next client? It's you know it's a simple secret that most people want to pass because they want to get into action right away. And the simple secret starts in your strategy. So this is the tip that I give everyone that is willing to listen to me, and that is you want to be redundant to a point of being boring. Like when you are tired of your message, that means other people are starting to hear it. And the biggest challenge that you have is that all of your social media, all of your online presence and any of your offline presence. So if you're speaking, networking, whatever it is, is really aligned and very similar in message, in graphics and in audience positioning, if that helps. Yeah. So... How did you kind of get to this place where you understood this as as the thing, as the thing that makes the key difference? Well, I think today is a perfect example of a lot of people doing a ton of tactics and nobody is actually watching that 30,000 foot view. So you're showing up this way or you're showing up that way or you're showing up, well, you know, LinkedIn's professional, so I need to be professional. And Facebook is social, so I need to be social. And Instagram is all about the pictures, so I need to have really cool pictures. But in today's world, a lot of times, if somebody recommends you, or if you're in a live networking online or offline, or in a podcast like we are now, they will then go start looking and seeking you out. And if there's confusion in their mind, we all know what happens. A confused mind says, no, they're just, there's something, you know, they're like this, there's something that's off and they're trying to figure it out. But you know what? They're so busy. They don't have time to figure it out. So they'll just go next. Mm -hmm. So how do we, how do we stop them from doing that? I mean, is it just by repeating ourselves? So we're not, you know, to the point of being boring or what else can we do to help them not go next? Well, the again, it goes back to that strategy. So um, when Tammy and I started Savvy Sales Strategy a number of years ago, we were both in the marketing and business development space. Tammy with 36 years worth of entrepreneurial experience, me with 15 years of corporate and then whatever the distance is um, in entrepreneurial experience. And one of the things that was happening were people were changing their offer, changing their message, changing their audience, you know, as frequently as they changed their sheets. And uh, it was one of those things where we said, we want to create a very simple path. Mm -hmm. And simplicity works when you're getting started. We can scale and double prong and triple prong things a lot of different ways. But when you're getting started, we want one audience, one message, one offer, and one position. 
And those are all the things that are done in the strategic step of your business. Because then tactically, you can figure out how to incorporate those into the various tactical things you're doing that are marketing and momentum and forward building. So tell us a little bit about how you've seen this play out, some examples um, where you guys have applied this either in your own business or with your clients' businesses. Yeah, I, that's a great question because it it's all about confidence. It's all about confidence in how we show up, confidence in what we're saying, conviction to the fact that we know we can provide that transformation or results. So it shows up in our marketing. It may show up in our Facebook lives. It may show up in the blog posting that we do. When we start to step in the power, we get a little sassier, right? We get a little more powerful in what we're saying. And then in the sales conversation, confidence is key. Because if you start waffling around any aspect of that sales conversation, your prospect will as well. So where we've seen it is we've watched women. We do a lot of work with women. We, we do have male clients as well. But we do a lot of work with women who <clears throat> never had their voice, was always told, you know, be seen and not heard, right? That's something that I grew up with. Um, be seen and not heard. I was actually given a seat in the room, but not a seat at the table. So I was expected to be quiet. And it it's, we're finally saying to some of these women, your voice matters. And as a matter of fact, it matters so much. We need it. The world needs it. So giving them that confidence to say, I'm only going to focus on one, that means they don't have to create 15 products. They don't need an ascension ladder, right, in their product tree. Being uh, Focusing on one message, it means that we get to say what's really important and makes us different. Focusing on one um, on, on one audience. And again, this is what I say about that. Cause a lot of people say, well, I can work with 15 different groups, or if I give up one, what happens to the other 14? I always say, think of your audience as a stable with six horses in it. Every single horse is well-groomed. They're well-fed, they're well-supported. But when you train a horse, you train one at a time. You take them out and you dedicate that time to work with that specific horse to get them to what you want them to do, right? And so the other five horses, you haven't walked away from them. You're still going to feed them and care for them and eventually take them out to train too. But by getting one horse taken care of, it allows you to dedicate that time and speak to that horse in the way that you know they hear and you can communicate because you're going to speak to another horse maybe a little differently, right? Just like a human. So that's the thing that we forget. We never have to say no. If somebody comes up to somebody and they say, I love your message. Will you work with somebody in my field? You get to say yes or no. It's your business. But from a message perspective, especially in this digital online world where we have fewer and fewer seconds to make an impact, if we are all over the place, it truly will be another reason to go next. Do you have um, any any stories about how this has played out in like how you personally done this um, as you've gone through your your career or as you were building out your your business? I, I think, in fact, you maybe have had a couple of businesses. Yeah, I I started I ran a promotional products business for 16 years. 
um, basically because I was thrust into entrepreneurship. I did not choose it like a lot of people do today. <laughs> you know, I had moved down to Florida with my two and five-year-olds. My husband was still up in Pennsylvania doing some work. And this gentleman who had romanced me for two years, basically saying, we've got a partner, it would be great. The whole relationship ended up imploding three weeks after I moved from Pennsylvania to Florida. And I had a 486 computer for anybody who's old enough to know what that is. And a landline no cell phone. And I was trying to figure out what to do. And promotional products were a way to stay connected to marketing, to be a problem solver. And I think that's how I built it to seven figures in two years, was that when I walked into Alamo or American Express or Republic Services, I didn't just drop off 25 catalogs and say, call me if you want to order something. I went in and asked questions. What was the event? What were they trying to accomplish? What did they want this little trash and trinket or tchotchke to do? You know, how are they going to be using it? What have they done in the past? What's the theme of this year? What's their, you know, not just budget and quantity questions. And it was new to a lot of my marketing clients who were saying, nobody's ever asked us that before. You know, I got eventually back into strategy and consulting when I kind of quasi started uh, Sweet Spot Strategies, which is a business name I still have today because it's just such a great name. Um, before Tammy and I started partnering. So it's, you know, yes, I've had a couple of businesses and with each one, you know, there's a favorite story. Um, I did a promotional product for a pharmaceutical account that basically bought me a house. Um, it won a, a prize within my industry. It helped me cross over into that 5% market. So I know by standing out as the problem solver and not asking for the business, but asking for the opportunity to quote was a huge aha moment for me. I didn't need to go into a meeting so hung up on getting the business, but in developing that connection and that relationship. Um, one of my consulting clients that I worked with before Tammy and I met was a home healthcare company, and they were in a very competitive market. And she was trying to stand out. And, you know, in hearing her story, we did a VIP day. And in hearing her story, it was because she didn't want the experience that she had when she was the caregiver for an aunt that was in a home, a, a nursing home. And she was a paralegal by profession. She had been a CNA by profession. And so she had a lot of good credentials that make for a good home health company business owner. Mm -hmm. But um, we were trying to find out, you know, what made her different. And we looked at all of the marketing websites that were out there. And I will be honest, everybody was white. If there was an African-American woman in the picture, she was pushing the wheelchair and everybody was focusing on we can come and take care of your loved one, you know, after a stroke, after an accident, after surgery, whatever the story was. We decided to flip that. And everybody also in four point type on their website said, you know, memory care certified. And because of her aunt who had Alzheimer's, which is why she was in the nursing home, we said, you know what, we're going to focus on memory care. Number one, it happens to be um, an extremely difficult caregiving position. Number two, there are some terrible statistics about women and men who take care of memory care patients in terms of what it uh, impact, how it impacts their life. And so not only did we say we're going to focus on that instead of the stroke, but we also decided we were going to focus on the caregiver instead of the patient. So our tagline became, we come in so you can go out. 
and give that person, that caregiver permission to go get their nails done, to go play tennis, to go have lunch with a friend, to simply be able to be who they were when they were not caregiving, which in some cases was long lost because they had been doing it for so long. And the shame of them just wanting to get out for a few minutes. So that was really huge. Things that Tammy and I have done is we've worked with clients to help them get appointments and then have them say, this is like really cool. I'm talking to people I want to talk to. I don't feel like I'm selling all day long. Mm. So there's been, you know, there's been a lot of highlights and some epic failures along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can get to those. We can get to those for sure. (laughs) We we all go through them. You know, I have to say on a a personal note, um, that that campaign around caregiver, um, it's, speaks me personally. Um, I was in that role. I took care of my grandfather when he was um, transitioning from leaving the hospital uh, before he he passed away. And, uh, you know, we were dealing with lots of medical issues, but memory care was one of them. And it was one of the more challenging parts. Um, And I can tell you that uh, just being able to go out to dinner, uh, just be able to step away, know he was in good hands, um, was... uh, it was, I think, maybe one of the only things that meant that I left that period not totally demolished as a human being, um, because it takes absolutely everything out of you to to care for someone, um, you know, in the best of circumstances, I think. And these were particularly challenging. So okay. um, in my heart, too. I um, yeah. My mother in 1987, when nobody was really even talking about the caregiving experience or the sandwich generation. Mm-hmm. She was the caregiver for both her grandmother and her mother-in-law, as well as two grandsons that while my brothers were going through divorces. And she started a newsletter that was called Caregivers. It was it's so interesting that I I felt like it was a full circle moment at that time, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be able to remember back to some of the 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 angst that she was dealing with. And my both my grandmother and my great grandmother, thank goodness, did not struggle with memory care until the very, very end of their life. Um, but just to have children, grandchildren, and then Whoa. a grandparent and a mother-in-law, uh, she was a caregiver for 40 years of her life. You know, crazy, right? Crazy. Yeah. Well, and and such a gift, like you said, full circle moment to be able to help other people, help another woman business owner find her yes. place in her market by helping, you know, other women and other families that, that need that so desperately. So that's amazing. So so tell us a little bit about some of these challenges. Obviously, you you've been able to accomplish amazing things. I mean, seven figures in two years, like this business you have now. What have been some of the more challenging things you you've had to traverse? Well, I, you know, I, the the beautiful thing about Tammy and I coming together is that I have always been strategy based. I have always been the person that's the big idea. We can do this. The you know, let's get this in in motion. And then it's like, okay, we have to get it in motion. But what do we do next? And yeah. Tammy, who again spent her forty years at, in entrepreneurship, but in the marketing space, has done the graphic design company and the publishing company, and geeks out on all of these things that. I basically roll my eyes at. So we make an amazing pair and we are as different as night and day. And I I think, you know, finding stride every now and then is, you know, in the beginning was, while we were lucky and didn't really have some of the craziness that partnerships can have, 
you know, it is a matter of what do you do? What do I do? We both realize very quickly what our weak spots are and, you know, have filled those voids. But I will tell you, um, for us, some of it has been scaling. And for us, some of it has been that, you know, let's do this offer one day and that offer another. Trust me, marketing experts are not immune from making marketing mistakes. So, you know, just, and you would think, well, with two heads, we're smarter than one head. But again, you know, we've always had a coach. We have always believed in hiring people to help us get out of our heads, get into action, to streamline action. We've always um, have at least given each other the respect and grace to say, I don't want to do this now, you know, or I I will talk, let's talk about it in three months. But given this whole digital world that we are living in, finding the right mix of resources has been, uh, you know, we've had ups and downs. We are in and up right now you know, for all of the times. But I mean, we have hired people who have made promises that haven't delivered. We have lost clients because part of our deliverable has included the resources of these outsourced people yeah, or, you know, companies. And it's been a, you know, do we go back to just providing strategy and a path to implementation? And we really want to provide agency services done for you. We want you to be able to come and know that we are doing the best we can do. And Tammy is always looking at the next technology platform, the next way of delivering, how the trends are changing from delivery of a webinar or our challenge is still in, or, you know, what do I say in a Facebook ad? Where do I take people, right? There's all of these small little tiny nuances and moving parts that just, I, I do partially miss the marketing days of the 1980s, where it was like, ad, outdoor, radio, television, you know, we were into so many different things that we are in today. So, well, and they changed a little bit slower, right? I mean, yes, there might be changed, but they were going to, you know, now it's like, nope, you got to be on this platform. Nope. Now there's TikTok. Now there's, and, and as a business owner, especially, right, you really struggle with like, well, how do I, I'm only one person or I'm only this small yes. team. How do I spend my time? How do I allocate it? How do I even you know, do that for long enough to figure out what's going to work for long enough to, right. and then right when you figure out it works, they change something and you're going, well. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a challenge and it, it's, it, part of it is about taking the simplicity out of the complex so that we can comfortably say, again, we can create multiple channels and multiple things that are happening, we can test messages. You know, I grew up again in a classic agency environment, right? So I understand the value of going through research of the testing. And what I think the methodology that we use is is kind of unique in the industry is because if we're doing outreach messaging, for instance, and we're not getting a response in two weeks, we can change it. We're not, we haven't, we haven't sent it out to a 20,000 person email list. We've sent it out to two to 500. If the emails aren't working, we can change it. And there's also, again, well, it didn't work. Email doesn't work. Well, email does work, right? Outreach doesn't work. Outreach does work. You know, speaking doesn't work. Speaking does work. It's just having that time to be able to dissect what was working and what wasn't and having the courage to say, okay, 
you're telling me to stick the course with email. We just have to figure out maybe it's the audience. Maybe it's the message. Maybe it's the subject. Maybe it's the offer. Maybe it's the timing. You know, maybe it's the platform. Like there's just a lot of moving parts. Right. Well, and that's what's so great about working with a team like yours, because ultimately you guys can worry about all those moving parts as opposed to. <laughs> and worry we do, you know, yeah. so just worry we do. <laughs> so uh, the we ask everyone here on The Wealthy Woman a little bit about their idea of true wealth, wealth that is not just tied to money, um, because as we know, that can't be the only way we define wealth. Um, truly wealthy lives are lived much bigger than that. So could you tell us a little bit about what you believe makes you wealthiest right now, either in your life or your business? I, I would say choice is what is my definition of, of wealth. And I remember being 15 years old and in a, 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 a store called Fortune Off. If you're from the Northeast, you might remember it. I don't know if it's still around today, but walking in and looking at these beautiful pair of earrings and asking the price of them, because that was going to be the decision, the deciding factor as to whether I purchased them or not. And I said, when I grow up, I want to be able to buy something without asking its price. Now, there are times when you want to ask the price, right? Because <laughs> that makes sense just fiscally yeah, trade-off wise, you know. But at the same time, it's not the price that's the deciding factor. Then you get to weigh the price versus the value and the price versus the joy. Mm -hmm. So it's the choice. To me, it's the choice. Um, again, being home-based for 27 years and having a business partner, I'm heading off to Europe for a couple of weeks at, in April. And I'm doing that because I have the choice that I can do that. And that's how I choose to spend my money. Um, anything that brings me absolute, complete and utter joy is being with my husband. We'll be 33 years in September or my and or my two daughters um, who are 27 and 30 and both are single without children. So when we get together, you know, it's like I like them now. They were going to be that much fun as kids. Yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, they were good, but you know, they're girls and they're outspoken and they're independent and wow, sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, now it's, now it's coming together with a friend. I talk to at least one of them every day, if not twice, and mm -hmm. we like each other. So to me, that's the making those hard choices as we were growing up, because I will tell you, there were plenty of times I thought I was a crappy mom. Right. I had a, I worked through the Thanksgiving parade at the daycare and I missed ice skating competitions because I had to do something or, you know, I, whatever the thing was that I did. And I always thought, oh, I'm, you know, the worst mother in the world. Right. Everybody else is perfect. And to look at them now and what they remember is that they got to go to Europe when they were in third and fifth grade, that they got to you know, spend time with their grandparents, that they were able to take trips and, and, you know, we invested in them, right? Sports mm -hmm. and, and cultural things. They went to plays, you know, we had season tickets to see plays. And th those are the things that, yeah, maybe they'd remember if I missed, you know, the Thanksgiving parade when they were four years old, but those are the things they understood the sacrifice I made to, and be able to have the choice to right. do those things with them. Right. 
Well, and again, it's all about like, yes, you might have, you know, had to make those commitments with work, but also I'm sure it, you had more flexibility, right? Because you were working for yourself, you also had time with them that a lot of parents maybe wouldn't. Well, and, and I will tell you that, you know, when you're running a seven figure business, you're working when the client needs you, especially in the promotional products business, because if you, you know, they're going to be dialing till they get somebody on the phone. And there you're you are competing a little bit on price, but mostly on service and 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 mostly on deliverability. So, yes, you're absolutely right. But I will also caution clients, you know, prospects that we work with and say, here's the thing. If you really want to work with this client and the only time they're available is 10 o'clock on Saturday because they work a full time job and they're trying to build a side hustle, you get to decide whether it's yes or no. But then when you don't have business at the end of the day, because that's the person you're marketing to, right? you have to make that decision with, okay, but now I can be off at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, right? you know? So yes, but everything, you know, there is a trade-off to everything, right? And a sacrifice to everything. And, you know, I can tell you with 40 years of wisdom and pain and success that we, we, create when we create the boundaries so specifically like i met a woman who only wanted to work tuesday wednesday thursday from 10 to 2 i was like okay (laughs) you know i mean if you can build a business that way that's great we can schedule our calls then but what are you leaving on the table Mm -hmm. because you're so strict you're bound i mean you know i understand i have a girlfriend that will not work on sundays that is god's day that's her day i completely understand But it is a trade-off. It is a trade-off, yes. And I think it's important to understand that true wealth comes when we make that choice to have our values and our boundaries, and they're all aligned with the acceptance that we are going to have to say no, or people are going to say no to us, and we have to be okay with that. Yes. So on a, on a note, what kind of unconventional or outside of the box thing brings you this idea of wealth in your day-to-day life? Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the ability to, to travel is certainly mm-hmm. something that is enriching for me. Um, interestingly enough, I spent five weeks in Europe back in 2018 with a girlfriend. We were there on a business like there were 14 of us and we were all independent, self-employed okay. people. And we were working. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend was like, I have to buy a piece of jewelry in every city. And I buy a book in the language in every city. And I kept on walking in and out of the jewelry store with her. And, you know, I finally, you know, I just was looking at what made I was in Lisbon. And, and you know, there's a, a specific style of jewelry. And um, I was at the airport on my way home and I bought a pair of earrings. And I was like. These are my favorite earrings just because I bought them. When I hit a million dollars, I bought myself a 1.4 carat diamond. That to me was the symbol of, you know, I had made it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But these earrings. So now when I went to Scotland last year, I bought a pair of earrings that I could only buy in Scotland, right? I'm off to to Eastern Europe this year. I, I, it's something that just helps give me that small little memory. You know, I don't need a, a ton of tchotchkes or, things, but it's the power behind that purchase. And they don't have to be, I mean, 
neither pair of earring was more than 100 euro. I mean, it wasn't right. like it was a ton of money. Um, right. The diamond was a little bit more, but I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a different, that was a different thing altogether. That was a, there was a lot of symbolism in that purchase. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, we love that. So, okay. If our audience has just been nodding along as we've been talking, talk, hearing about like, okay, simplicity, but maybe I don't want to do all of this myself. How can they go about reaching out to you, you and your team about getting support? Oh, we, I would love it. Please call, you know, message, text, whatever you want to do, right? Um, you know, I'm on social media. Here's the good news. Take a screenshot of my name because there's only one of me. So if you go <laughs> Facebook and see, let me know, please, or LinkedIn <laughs> more. But my two bigger channels on social media are LinkedIn and Facebook. Okay. We have a website and it's SavvySalesStrategy.com. Um, and there's a, a free, you know, there's a freebie you can you can opt into. But even if you go to my social media pages, you're going to see my email and my phone number. So wow. please feel free to reach out. Yeah. You know, okay. I'm in business, right? So you got to be able to find me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we love that you're so available. And, and uh, thank you so much for your time today, Abigail. We have loved hearing all about it. Um, and I know that my audience is really going to connect with this idea of bringing that simplicity, that single message to getting their next client. Yep. And it's not as easy as it sounds doing it by yourself. But again, even if you just want to talk, like, you know, not every conversation has to end up in a sales conversation. I, I, you know, I usually say if I can help you and it's a quick thing that you haven't thought about, that's what I, I'm here for. It's I'm at a give back stage at this point. I love that. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more The Wealthy Woman podcast content, make sure to subscribe. And here's a way we can help you for free. If you are a six, seven, or eight-figure female founder and CEO, we want to see and interview you on one of our podcast shows. Head to twwguest.com. Again, that's twwguest.com. I hope to see you on our next interview. Now, at The Wealthy Woman, we help six, seven, and eight-figure female founders and CEOs to scale their business by using unconventional approaches like leading-edge science and tapping into their unique authenticity code. If that sounds good to you and you want to get some help, then we're inviting you to book a short chat with our team to see how we can best help you. Go to www.thewealthywoman.com slash chat. Again, that's www.thewealthywoman.com slash chat.